This episode of the podcast is with Richard Jankovic of Big Mother Gig. Richard and I worked together on several of his bands, singles, uh, back when I was working with All Things Go, and we kept in touch ever since I moved back to California. Um, the band is working on a new record, No Name Yet. We talked about that a little bit, and it's due out for an early November release. Uh, uh, he sequestered himself in the desert for a weekend and just cranked out a bunch of material. That was really interesting to hear about that process. And yeah, uh, we talked about our favorite shows, favorite bands growing up. We're both big fans of Husker Du and Bob Mould. So we nerded out for a little bit about that. Uh, poke fun at a few other bands. No offense. We love you all. Uh, but we had to talk a healthy, healthy uh, amount of shit. Uh, don't worry, it's nothing too bad. And uh, yeah, so they did a cover of M83's big single, hit single, Midnight City. Uh, you know the one. And... We're sharing this one ahead of their official release of their forthcoming album. Stay tuned for that one and enjoy the podcast.
whenever we have invited people here for, you know, we hosted my daughter's like fifth or fourth birthday party here. And uh, whenever we invite people here, no one has ever heard of it Mm -hmm. or like, you know, it's always like I had no idea this thing was here. So, yeah, I would have never heard about this place. Yeah, <laughs> it's too small. Like it's not a yeah. You know, you don't have bands here. I'm assuming, right? No. It's more of like a, a birthday thing or a yeah. Can you barbecue here? Is that I don't I don't know. You know the the people that own it and run it are really wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, we contacted them when we were having our uh, the birthday party, and we were like, hey, we're gonna have like 20 families. Like it's a pretty big party, you know can we get on your calendar? And mm-hmm. they were like, we don't have a calendar. <laughs> oh, that's cool. They were like, just come, just bring whoever you want. Mm-hmm. And we were like, well, do we have to pay a fee? And they were like, yeah, if you want to, you can donate. Oh, that's nice. Wow. <laughs> and then they were here the day we had our party. They came over and said hi. And they were like, let us know if you need anything. And wow. I think it's kind of like a, uh, a gift to the community. Yeah. You know, from, a, I'm assuming some, a family who runs it, I don't know enough about who they actually are, but mm-hmm. it seems to be like it's a foundation or some sort of philanthropic organization that kind of like oversees it. And it's just literally a gift to the community. Like people come here, they read books, they write. I've seen people painting, you know. If I lived around the corner, I'd walk here every day. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. This is so nice. It's nice. Yeah. Like I've got hiking trails back home, which is cool, but mm-hmm. it's like, that's just straight work. You right. Know? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, this is more like almost like um, like almost like therapeutic. Like it's it's like you kind of come here when you need to just sort of unplug or mm-hmm. or you want some downtime and you want to stroll. You know, you see a lot of date like you know Thursday like Thursday afternoons. You see a lot of like date mm. people on dates who come here and either before, you know, people come here and they have a bottle of wine and they put out a picnic and they just, you know, hang out. So that's cool. That's nice. You know? Yeah. I would definitely do something like that. You've been in Eagle Rock for a little while, right? Uh, yeah. For about four years, mm-hmm. we moved there. We were in Altadena before that. And we moved down to really right on the border of Pasadena and Eagle Rock. Mm-hmm. And yeah, four years. We like it cool yeah i love this area yeah it's It's so cool and you're so close to la like for shows and Mm -hmm. recording and whatnot yeah yeah. where's everybody else living in the band big mother Um, gig yes thank you (laughs) thank you um mike our guitar player lives has recently moved he was in burbank and then Mm. he moved up to pacoima um, I yeah, don't even know where that is. That's it's <laughs> up there. It's a little out of the immediate metro area. Uh-huh. Um, it's a, I think it's sort of like north of Burbank. Like, I don't even know. I'm so bad with geography, and no one <laughs> listening to this is going to care at all. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just leave it at that. So he's yeah. in Pacoima. Our bassist Micah lives in Los Feliz. Uh, and Albert is in Alhambra mm-hmm. or Monterey Park. Cool. Uh, one of those sort of s- just south of Pasadena. So he's nice and close. And yeah, and we rehearse uh, at Bedrock Studios in Echo Park because mm-hmm. it's pretty easy for everyone to get there. I feel like I've been there. 
possibly probably Maybe for photos or something yeah they have yeah. events there and stuff mm. and and it's a pretty well established thing it's right off of um it's on alessandro mm-hmm. right off of alvarado yeah cool and you've been spending there uh, spending a lot of time there lately yeah working on a new we, album we were yeah so we uh wrote this album in February, I sort of did like a weekend retreat thing where I went away for a weekend to the desert and I had a lot of um, a lot of personal stuff to work through that I wanted to do in the form of music. So mm-hmm. I went away for a weekend, sort of like Fortress of Solitude kind of thing in a desert with, you know, nothing but a bunch of rice and beans and <laughs> <laughs> like guitars and stuff. And yeah. Didn't talk to anybody for four days. Didn't leave this little cabin and came back with an album, you know, like something like 14 songs or something. Wow. Yeah. It was really, <laughs> it was pretty incredible. Uh, I mean, like I said, I was, I had a lot to work through. So I had a lot of material just kind of in me. I just needed an opportunity to, to kind of open the doors and let it spill out. Yeah. And so it spilled out. And then we came back, uh, I made quick demos, and then everyone was like, great. So we just started rehearsing them. And, you know, this band is not anyone's full-time job. So Mm -hmm. it's all about finding time that everyone can be free together. So we kind of cut it into thirds. So we worked on the first... Is this helicopter okay? Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, okay. Um... We sort of cut the album into thirds, and so we did the first third probably in, like, March or April, going to Bedrock, rehearsing, mm. and then we went to Summit Studios in Altadena to track the drums, and then we all, me, Micah, and Mike, did our guitars in our own computers, and then and then those first that first third was, you know, done, so to speak. Right, and then we did the next third, maybe two months later, and then the following third we're finishing right now, and um, yeah, so we did it in these kind of chunks, and you know, a lot of revising, going back to stuff we did back in April, and you know, updating it or changing it or improving it, mm-hmm. whatever. Our and our I don't know what you call him, Dan Long is his name. He's <laughs> an old friend of the band. I'm not sure if you call him a producer or an engineer, whatever. He's the guy who makes the record sound awesome. (laughs) So he just, his wife got an opportunity that took them as a family to Barcelona, Barcelona, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, For like the next six months. So he just got there a few days ago and he's going to start mixing our record at a studio there. In wow. Barcelona, yeah. So I'm expecting some fl- <laughs> flamenco guitars. <laughs> it's going to come back sounding very different. No. So he's going to work on that. We're still putting the finishing touches. We still have some things to track right now. And mm-hmm. we have a few um, non-band member contributions. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to call them guests because I don't know what they're going to be. But we have a few folks who are adding some other parts, some vocals and some strings and stuff like that contributors right contributors yeah. there you go <laughs> so yeah so Definitely he'll be credited on the album too yeah they'll yeah. be credited there's a couple people that were really excited that are, are working with us and then we will probably have the album i'd like to see it done by early november or so cool yeah cool so you went to the desert and cranked out all this material 
and then you brought it back to the guys and what did they do with it um i was when you go away and you you know you live in a vacuum for four days you feel really good about whatever it is you make (laughs) whether it's awesome or terrible Mm -hmm. so the first thing was the feedback they gave me was really positive Mm. and that kind of lit a fire under all of us like everyone just kind of felt like the material was really good really Mm. strong and so they individually worked on their own parts and then we just started i you know this band has always been sort of driven by i write a song i demo it and then they kind of pick it up from there and and then we record it like Mm. the last record we did um, no more questions came as a series of singles. So we would go record two songs mm. and then like we'd write them, record them and release them, write them, record them, release them, and then assemble them all as an album. Okay. This time I wanted the songs to have more, a little bit more time to breathe within the construct of a band. Right. And so, uh, when we were doing those in thirds, like we would just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and let the song grow and change within that environment mm-hmm. um so some of the things that i did on the demos didn't seem to work in a live band such uh, setting or vice versa like albert the drummer was like what if we tried this or micah said hey what if this part was a little different so i wanted those guys are so incredibly talented mm-hmm. that i wanted to take full advantage of not just their playing skills but like their creative skills Mm -hmm. like their ideas and their um whatever so we would just kind of rehearse them over and over again and so by the end we didn't record until we felt like okay these four songs are are better than the demos Mm -hmm. so let's go start recording those cool yeah and do they sequester themselves in the in similar ways like did they take that material and just say like all right i'll see you in three days and uh, no, I would say they, uh, more worked. Well, that's a good question with, you know, it's different with each player because most of us have kids <laughs> mm. and, uh, some other thing we're doing for revenue. So right. it's like, <laughs> you know, Albert, I would say worked out, um, most of his parts in the, in the rehearsal studio. Mm. And then he listens a lot you know, when he's driving and and he's always, he's, this guy is the, without a doubt, the best drummer I've ever played with. Um, but he's just so, he's just super insightful. Um, he's also a songwriter and he plays guitar and stuff. And so he, he's not just coming at songs as, as the drummer. Like he kind of has these very broad points of view and, Mm -hmm. Um, and so he just, he listens a lot. Like he doesn't necessarily, he's such a, sol- a solid performer that he kind of knows what needs to happen. And so he does it. Mike and Micah definitely find blocks of time, I, not days, but hours, <laughs> you know, hours here and there right. where they can focus on just this and then just kind of like running through parts. And then they kind of send it to me and I didn't hear a lot of what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while. I mean, I could hear it in the room, but it's different in the room. Everything's just so loud and big and mushy. When you actually start going and listening to what they play, it's like, wow, 
these are some incredible things they came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this song, 20 Miles, and I went in and, and listened to the bass line that Micah dropped, and I texted him. like I, He had probably recorded the bass line weeks before I ever actually heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, this bass line is incredible. Like, wh- how did you come up with this? Like, it's yeah. just so... It's it's really technically interesting. Like it's Micah has a background in jazz and and stuff, so it's a very complex baseline. But it doesn't feel complicated mm-hmm. unless you really know something about music and you can kind of pick up on the technicality of it. Mm-hmm. It blew my mind. That's a really nice feeling too. Uh, for because I'm not a musician, so there's I'm sure a lot that I'm missing. But you know, as a avid listener. I try to find, you know, things that might be hidden, like that technical skill, something yeah. like that. It's, yeah, it's interesting to, to hunt for mm-hmm. because sometimes I don't know what I'm looking for. And, yeah, sometimes I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things will surprise me. And then talking to the musicians after a show, saying, like, they're, like, modest about it. Mm-hmm. Saying, oh, no, that was nothing. And, like, oh, wait, was it nothing? Or <laughs> was that, you know, right? was that something that I picked up on, you know? Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was in high school and I was listening to a lot of punk rock. Mm. And most punk rock bands, you know, sort of followed that ethos of we don't really need to be particularly good Mm. at our instruments. You know, they just wrote these urgent emotional songs Mm. that connected with people. And every once in a while you would run across a band like The Descendants. And if you break down The Descendants and really listen to what is being performed it's it's like it parallels like you know my metal friends would talk about dream theater as being you know as like the technical (laughs) skill the Mm. descendants are incredibly technically talented Hmm. and you don't notice it and that's kind of why it works so well because if you're just listening all you're hearing are these great pop punk songs you know milo singing about whatever girl that broke his heart it's fun to jump around to. Mm. But if you go the next layer and listen, particularly to the rhythm section, the, the Bill Stevenson and Stephen Ed- Edgerton, I think, are the two fellows who do bass, and uh, I might be getting the names wrong. Mm. Um, but if you really get in and, and listen, particularly to the, the rhythm section, it's mind-blowing how technical it is. And it doesn't feel like it at all. And that's what I like. That's why I don't like a dream theater. That's why it's hard for me to connect with a lot of experimental jazz. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, intellectually, I can appreciate it. But emotionally, it doesn't do anything for me. Right. Because it's really, I'm about the song. Um, You know, my wife and I, we, we listen to similar music, but there's one area where we diverge. And it's in, I always say, I'm, I'm... You know, I drift more towards the three and a half minute pop song. Mm. I just don't want it in that form, like in the radio format, you know. Right. But I'll listen to, you know, uh, like a Descendants song or The Replacements or Who's Could Do. Those are all three and a half minute pop songs. They're just really loud and fast. Yeah. She's always more drawn drawn to what I would call almost atmospheric based bands. Um, hmm. Like a beach house or okay. a mogwai or something where... Oh, that really deep stuff. Yeah, yeah. and it's very... It's... Um, it's... For me, I appreciate that music, but again, it's technical in that it's not 
you know, do 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 do, but it's technical in that it's not about the the song. Like the song can be about nothing. It can be about anything. Like I'm still drawn to the song. Right. And so when I hear something like Beach House, it's like I dig those textures. I think they sound cool, but it doesn't grab me by the heart. You know, right. it doesn't right. like make me feel anything other than the sort of blissful <laughs> melancholy that the music <laughs> gives me, you know? Right. Um, that, that Southern California feel, even yeah. though I don't even think they're from California, but, um, I don't know where they're from. Beach house and beach fossils and yeah. beach this beach and that. Slang. <laughs> <laughs> beach slang. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah. They all have that. That's something Southern California has always contributed to, yeah. right? Not just names, but, um, names and themes but yeah musical themes and it kind of goes back to like i always feel like if you if you go to the roots of popular music as we sort of know it you're you're somewhere in the 60s and the 70s and you've got bands like the beatles and the rolling stones who are making songs Mm -hmm. and then at the same time you've got like pink floyd which is grows to be a band that's not really about songs Mm -hmm. it's more about texture and atmosphere and you know, they called it psychedelic. It's all about this sort of like the words are, yes, they're big hit songs. So everyone knows and sings along. Mm-hmm. But like texturally, it's like I, I look at a Mogwai in a beach house and to me, they go right back to Pink Floyd. Right, right. You know, whereas like the replacements go right back to the Rolling Stones. Like mm-hmm. in the, a few layers, <laughs> generations. But like to me, music sort of splintered at one point into like this pop and this sort of textural space and i feel like it's pretty much still there yeah especially the atmospheric stuff like that's such a big thing it's huge yeah which i wondered why i've been wondering why world music as a as a term hasn't really it never really took off i guess as a Mm -hmm. popular form i was just um at a azam ali show she does this really like world music type like very textural very Mm -hmm. um not lyrical too but it's 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 so compressed, I guess, that it's, you know, first off, it's hard to, she'll speak in uh, Farsi, too. She'll sing in Farsi, and it's hard to, you know, obviously understand sure. that. But, um, so she's she's got her following here. It's not called world music. It's called something else. Mm-hmm. And I wondered how bands like Dead Can Dance didn't get popular if it's pop all that stuff is popular now but nobody's going back to the older stuff right you know, people still wear the pink floyd shirts and all that but yeah it's like oh okay did you see live at pompeii did you, you know? right right yeah yeah it's interesting um i think that there's a sort of merging of the two styles in this kind of like what i would call the quote-unquote indie sound mm-hmm. which is you know, you look at a ba- a lot of these bands, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but a lot of these indie bands mm. that are making very clean, polished recordings that are sort of rooted in with some elements of what you would call shoegaze. So it's got like the kind of reverby guitars and the and fuzz. fuzz, not a lot of energy in the drums. The the vocals are a lot more front and center, so mm. it does have that sort of borrowing from pop, but it's borrowing a lot from that kind of textural sound. And to me, they sound largely like 
you know, there's that old joke of a camel is a horse designed by committee. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I never heard that. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Which is like, oh, let's make this, let's try to meet everyone in the middle. So when I hear bands like that, I totally understand what they're doing. Mm. It feels just really like copy pasty. Like it doesn't feel like it came together organically and it doesn't reach me at all. And maybe I'm not the intended audience. I'm in my 40s. Like I'm not, mm. you know. I'd still so much rather go see like a peg boy show or something where, <laughs> where like, you know, three chords and the truth is yeah. really what it's about. Three chords and the truth. Yeah. Who are you, uh, who have you been catching lately on that note? You've been going to, uh, many punk shows, many, uh, you know, I don't go to a lot of shows anymore, mm. uh, just because my priorities have changed. You know, yeah. that happens when you have a kid. Uh, I did go see the Jawbreaker reunion shows, which I guess has been probably a year already. So that's how current I am. <laughs> um, you know, and because I play out, I don't know. It's it's a different experience going to see bands. And because I've seen a lot of shows, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, when I was younger, I was it was every week we were, you know, going to two or three shows. And at some point it starts to become more appealing the idea of going to the movies <laughs> and like sitting in a seat and yeah you know not having beer spilled all over you and <laughs> you know being able to hear when you walk out um, yeah i i saw the addicts and yeah. like ate shit in the pit because somebody <laughs> spilled their beer and i was like oh this is this is fun um i'll do this in a little while again i can't remember the last time <laughs> i went in a pit oh my god it was it was at least 20 years ago oh wow yeah yeah. i mean well i'm i'm you know i started going to see live music i'm gonna say 1987 or 88 Mm -hmm. somewhere in there like the right in the middle of my high school years you know going to see like seven seconds and and the descendants and all and no effects and pennywise and all those bands that would come through i lived i grew up in madison wisconsin and for some reason, it was a tour stop for a lot of these punk bands. And so they would play hmm. at these like youth centers and, and uh, you know, things, places like that. And so, and I was in the pit like every single time and it was fun. I enjoyed it. But then somewhere in my college years, the pit just became <laughs> really violent. <laughs> you know, somewhere around like, I remember going to see Ministry Okay. In like 91 <laughs> and the pits were just different than, yeah. you know, your hardcore punk pits. There was a sense of sort of, I'm going to call it brotherly love that was, you're there to let out your aggression, but you're not actually trying to hurt anybody. Right. Something happened with like the advent of alternative rock, like the rage <laughs> against the machines, the ministries, like they got really big and they kind of attracted a lot of the maybe more aggressive strains of, of the male music fan ministry. I I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so the pits there, like you'd see people just punching each other and it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's anymore. crazy. So I haven't been into a pit since. <laughs> Thanks Al Jorgensen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With sympathy was a great pop. It was you know, new wave album. It was. <laughs> I still remember when I was a kid that, Every day is Halloween was on a Miller Lite commercial or something. <laughs> and we were all like, this song is great. It was like, bum, 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 you know, yeah. and it was like a, a soundtrack for that whole year because it was on some beer commercial. <laughs> yeah. Pits are, everybody pogos, you know, mm. the, every show I go to, like as crazy as the pits get, 
it's usually just pogoing and yeah. you know nothing crazy right. nobody's nobody's throwing punches right right even that addicts show like yeah uh i saw that about a year ago and it was like you said brotherly love yeah everybody fell well that's the addicts and everybody I think you get that yeah. Yeah. yeah well narcoleptic youth opened for him mm. too and that was like you know they were they seemed pretty hard they've always uh to me seemed like a pretty hardcore band yeah seeing them open for the addicts they were all in in and out uniforms <laughs> <laughs> What, did they just get there after their shift? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, what is that? Because they were, like, they looked real. Like, I didn't get a super close look, but I was like, damn, did they buy these from In-N-Out? Or, yeah, or do they work at In-N-Out, you know? And they were throwing out what I'm assuming were coupons. I never really figured that out. <laughs> Maybe they have a brand partnership with <laughs> In-N-Out. But, it, like, yeah, like, everybody was picking each other up. Like, yeah. I slipped on the beer three people immediately you know right see that's me. what i remember yeah. it being and i just think i'm uh, to me it's just like i'm just well past the point of putting myself in that kind of a physicality yeah yeah um but have you heard of this thing i i'm so out of it when it comes to heavy music like the only heavy music i like is is old stuff like mm. i don't really follow the new trends and punk and metal and stuff like i'll still put on old subhumans records and stuff like that but the new stuff. So mm. I wasn't aware of this until recently, this concept of the wall of death. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Lamb of God. That's man. terrifying <laughs> to me. Like, I went on YouTube one day after I heard about it. I just watched a bunch of these wall of deaths. Oh, and yeah. It is <laughs> It is absolute terror. It is Ozfest at its, <laughs> at its uh, peak. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, go on Google and type in like heavy metal wall of death. Probably Lamb of God wall of death. I think that that's probably the best one. Is that the one. best one? Yeah. I forgot the song that they did, but he's just like, open the fucking pit. Yeah, open the pit. Yeah. Everyone goes on, they, the entire audience, you know, a few thousand strong, they separate almost like Moses separating the Red Sea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where like they all go to one side. So there's this giant space in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then the singer or whatever counts down and they literally, <laughs> they just run at each other. Yeah. And I'm guessing they slam dance or mosh or they just start hitting each other. I don't know what exactly happens when they- It's just kind of a messy pit. Yeah. They just come together yeah. into a pit. It's like but, the Crusades. Yeah. <laughs> it really looks like that. <laughs> like the Crusades. Like, I'm surprised there aren't more fatalities in the wall of death. I'm sure there are. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, she was caught in one. Really? Um, I forgot what show she said she was at, but she was among the crowd, you know, trying to, I think she was on drugs and she's like, she's like trying to get out, trying to find some open space just to breathe. Yeah. Right? She finally finds this open space like between these people and she's like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> finally, like now I can kind of see straight trying to gather myself. Mm. And then she hears like, get the fuck out of the way, yeah. get out of the way. She looks around, there's nobody around her, everybody's right. separated. She's right in the middle in of the this middle. thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. They're like, get out of the way, get out of the way. Somebody's like trying to grab her. She's like, no, no, I need to breathe. And oof. Oof. She just gets stuck in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so scary, was terrifying. Yeah. I don't know who came up with that idea, but whoever they are, they need to get their head checked. <laughs> that is just unchecked aggression. Yeah. Can't it be it good looks for anybody. so cool, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been in one, but like it looks, it looks so cool. Yeah. Like the craziest pit I've ever been in was probably Mets. If you know Mets, oh sure, yeah, 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 yeah they're good. I On like their them. Eraser tour, and like that was such a killer show. Mm. 
annoying because like the I think it was like 18 and up and like the 18 year olds are complaining that there's a pit and like security's coming in and breaking it up and I'm like dude <laughs> this is what we do <laughs> yeah this is this is a part of the show yeah <laughs> that's funny <laughs> uh I remember or I remember I was watching um like early Oprah episode like late 80s early 90s they're talking about the rise of mosh pits yeah <laughs> and tell me what you think of this because like it was on a what's his name not dowdy um white-haired dude he was what like springer or he was one of those guys and Maury he would just kinda, <laughs> but earlier uh i forgot his name phil donahue phil donahue yeah and he's like so what do you do you like you're dancing he's just being all goofy about yeah. it like sounds like an old man He's like, so you're dancing and you're punching each other in the face? And like, (laughs) but they're showing videos from like, uh, Marilyn Manson, they were interviewing and they're showing, you know, uh, pit footage and it's like, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. Somebody was crowd surfing and cracked their head open. I'm like, oh, you know, don't be dumb about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I think it's something that like, it definitely seems to go hand in hand with like, younger male audiences for like heavier music. Like you don't really go, you don't see a pit at a beach house (laughs) going back to beach house. Like, yeah, you just would never see it probably for good reason. In fact, if people dance too much at beach house, like they get annoying stares from the audience. Yes. Like you're interrupting me standing here with my arms crossed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to silently enjoy this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) With as little emotion as possible. Yeah. I mean, seriously, the audience at these... I remember going to see The National, and I love I love The National. Mm. I think their records are phenomenal. But, man, their audience, they're like a bunch of robots, just, like, standing there, just staring straight ahead, mm. barely reacting. It's weird to me that... I mean, the whole point of going to see music, I think, is to be moved by the experience. Right, absolutely. You know, to be a part of something that's happening. I mean, I totally get that aspect too of just wanting to stand there and enjoy it like if you're gonna listen to do you know cigarettes after sex yeah you can't do anything with them right like, yeah. you can't dance to that <laughs> there's no way you yeah. can hardly sway to it right right you know you're just standing there enjoying live music which is great but i saw bob mold at 9 30 club in dc mm. where he's playing his you're familiar with his like solo stuff very right? familiar yeah like uh he so he was doing patch the sky yeah quieter slower i mean it's still pretty right. you know pretty alternative and uh he starts pulling out and everybody's just standing there packed house yeah everybody's just standing there which is cool but he starts pulling out who's do covers yeah and starts thrashing yeah nobody's doing anything really nobody's doing i was like this is disrespectful that is like, disrespectful <laughs> like if you're gonna if he's gonna break out you know eight miles high or whatever yeah. like you gotta you gotta respond <laughs> he did something i learned today like yeah. just heavy just <laughs> kicking that bass in hard nobody's new doing anything and i'm like what are you it's why weird. did you come here and yeah. spend money like i don't know did you have dinner next door too like, i don't know <laughs> Like I get you're it. in your post dinner, like <laughs> come down phase. Yeah, yeah I remember seeing. You know, it's funny you bring up Bob Mold because I can I can pinpoint a Bob Mold concert, which is probably when I finally realized I was sick of seeing live music. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's it nothing was against Bob, yeah. but we were living in New York, and he was playing at this club called Tramps, 
and it was just him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was playing like he used to do. I think he still does these tours every once in a while. It's just him and an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just kind of like it's it's not a very high energy experience. And we went to see him, and this had to be in the early 2000s, like mm. maybe 2003 or 2004. And so at that point, just, you know, for your listeners, <laughs> I'm already 30, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So uh, we, we, went, we went early because we'd heard there were two opening acts we were interested in. Mm-hmm. And it's tramps. There's, there's, no, there's no seating. You know, mm. it's just a big open room. And so we're standing there and listening to the first act and then the second act. And then by the time Bob came on, like my wife and I are literally like, I need to sit somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we started, we came up with this phenomenon that we, we termed tramps legs. <laughs> it's like when you've been standing at a concert for so long, waiting for the band you like, that your legs are about to give out. <laughs> That's called tramps legs. Yeah. <laughs> so we got tramps legs watching Bob Mould. And we were like, oh, this wasn't really pleasant. Like, the whole experience wasn't pleasant, you know? Like, Aww. I think that's how long it's been. <laughs> now, that said, I went and saw the Replacements reunion tour mm-hmm. about three years ago, maybe. Um, they, it started in Seattle. I happened to be in Seattle. Uh, so I caught the very that's first awesome. night of their <laughs> reunion tour. And I literally got off. I, was, I had a meeting the following morning. I landed in the airport. Uh, in the airport, saw the concert was going on. Drove, didn't even go to my hotel. Drove directly to the venue. <laughs> like, saw some dude on the street. Handed him like forty bucks or something. Got a ticket. Went right in. And there's something about that band and the fans of that band that I went alone. But within like a half an hour, I'd found like a group of people and we were hugging each other mm-hmm. and jumping up and down, singing along to every single song. Oh, that's so it cool. was like exactly why we found rock and roll music, right. you know, in our youth or whenever we found it. There's something about that experience of like having your arms around people. You don't know who, you don't even know their names. Mm-hmm. You've never talked to these people before, but you all have this shared love for what's happening in front of you and uh doesn't matter how much your legs hurt <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> because you transcend that you know? yeah yeah that's how i felt about the last and i mentioned this a bunch of times too the the, the last time i saw gary newman at um at a teragram everybody was there just for him and yeah. like you know he had his openers who were great um i'm not gonna remember their names at the moment sure. but um you can, edit, you can edit it back in. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll just tag them underneath. There you the, go. <laughs> <the post. laughs> um, everybody was there just just for him, and yeah. everybody's singing every word, right. even to the new stuff yeah. that I was really wow. surprised that he was he's he was touring on a new album, and everybody knew the words. It feels like, like he puts so out cool. a lot of new music. Like it feels like he never stopped putting out music. Yeah, he's always been doing something. Yeah, yeah. He's I think he's working on a new one now. And yeah. It's like so I'm standing next to this dude who can't wait to light up his joint yeah and he's complaining that la doesn't smoke weed anymore and i'm because he's like been living in denver or something mm-hmm. like that and he used to he grew up in la so man people don't smoke out here anymore i'm like what are you talking about yeah no they just they eat it now <laughs> yeah they yeah exactly they eat it now it's all like the edible stuff yeah he just couldn't wait to spark it up and like yeah so he finally did like gary ends the show 
uh, or stops the show mid song as he's like thrashing on stage. Yeah. Somebody fell in the middle of the crowd. Oh, Somebody wow. just ate shit. <laughs> she was, turns out she was like too drunk. You know, just she looked like lost just it. fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And she just fell. And he's like, what's that? And he just stopped the show. And he's pointing at me. And I'm like, I, I've got my camera. And I'm like, I was invited. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got my pass right here. And it's right behind me. I look behind me. And this this woman fell. Yeah. And everybody picked her up right away. Yeah, and like yeah. this camaraderie was just, you know, and. Yeah. So he's yeah. like, "Okay, she's okay. Okay, great." Yeah. So he's like, "Fuck yeah, Gary!" Yeah, like, <laughs> thanking him for being a good guy about it and everything, yeah. and noticing it, and yeah, I That's like that. Cool. That you know, that camaraderie. We're all here for the same thing, right? We can all talk. We can all relate. Yeah, you know, yeah, at least on the sure. very level. And there aren't, you know, for me, I like a lot of bands. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of music. But there's probably only like five or six acts that are really going to get me to feel that way. And know? replacements are... Replacements are yeah. absolutely number one. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the reunion tour, you know, a lot of people grumbled that, you know, it was only two. It was Tommy and, and Paul and, you know, so is it really the replacements? Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly, I didn't care. It it's was close like, enough, right? It was close enough. And when I saw the replacements back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, I was... 16 when i discovered them so uh, you know it was it was late in their um you know in their world Mm -hmm. so i never saw them with bob stinson their original guitar player only saw them with slim and then the second time i saw them the drummer was wasn't even there so it was chris mars was replaced by some other fella and i so i saw them both times with Paul and Tom, Tommy and a few other dudes, you know? So right. it was like, it wasn't all that different. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, that sounds... I'd and I go. saw them play their <laughs> second to last show because oh. they played... I was living in Milwaukee. This was, I'm going to say, 91. Mm. And they played at Summerfest. And it was incredible. Um, and, you know, I, in my, you know youthful mind there were a hundred thousand people there <laughs> right you know there were probably three thousand or something but it was packed and everyone loved the replacements and then the next night they played chicago and they literally just stopped playing put their instruments down and walked off the stage wow. and that's how they broke <clears throat> up like they never announced it there wasn't a big goodbye tour it was like they were just like fuck this we're done <laughs> just on stage yeah they, wow. i mean they didn't even announce it they literally were just like ah <laughs> like they just stopped wow. Did and that, that was coordinated it at no that point? <laughs> it seems like i think you know when you're in a band like that and you've been doing it and th- th- at that point they were on their 10th year of making records touring making records touring right not having a place to live you know being drunk all the time like you're a suspended adolescence kind of thing. It's really appealing for a while. And I think after a while it starts to break you apart. Yeah. And, you know, they had signed to a major label. And so there was all this expectation that they were going to, you know, it's before Nirvana. Yeah. You know, there wasn't really a roadmap. You know, you had REM and U2 and then you were obscure. (laughs) Like you were, like there wasn't, this really place for indie alternative bands, but they all got major deals. Yeah. All the indie bands picked up a major, le- major record deal somewhere in the late eighties, like mm. Husker Du, 
replacements, Dinosaur Jr. Like everybody picked up a deal. Was it wasn't it Arista that was doing? Or no, uh, Sire. Sire. Sire yeah. was yeah. The, the replacements. The Huskers signed to Warner. Um, you know, Electra was a big one too. Electra, yeah. yeah, and even Green Day. Like you know, I know we kind of tend to think of them as being this giant. Uh, major label alternative rock band but mm. when they started they were I don't know when that first record came out I was if I wasn't in high school I was just in college so mm. that was like 89 or 90 mm. and they were kind of in that same world like they were just an indie band they were a punk band but they weren't very punk you know they were yeah. like they were <laughs> like pretty poppy stuff yeah it was like yeah. really it wasn't that far removed from like a, you know uh, Hoot Nanny by the replacements like mm. it was actually like more polished than a replacements <laughs> record ever was, you know? Um, and I remember seeing green day at this youth center. I was telling you, we go to these youth centers yeah. and I stood, you know, back then there there wasn't even, there literally wasn't a stage. Mm. So they were on the same level that we were. And I stood right here and you can't see this cause it's a podcast, <laughs> but like Billy Joe's microphone would, bang me in the face every once in a while <laughs> like that's how close i was just watching him play yeah songs from that first record about it had the song uh, i don't remember christy road or something it was like just like these cute little pop punk songs and then you know a year later it was different yeah you know, they were suddenly on warner but e even when dookie came out like that was post nevermind right i think it had yeah been. so suddenly there was a roadmap for bands <clears throat> Uh, the replacements didn't, you know, they were either going to be REM, the mm. giantest band on the planet, <laughs> or obscurity. And so I think, back to the original point of this conversation, I think they just, they were done. Yeah. They were like, we tried, it didn't work. We wow. had one radio hit in 88. And so by like 88 or 89, whenever Albu came out. Alex Chilton, that song? No, Alex Chilton was, that was I think that was 87, Please to Meet Me. And then 88 or 89 was when Don't Tell a Soul came out. And they had one song that got regular rotation mm -hmm. on the radio called I'll Be You. And then they did one more record. And I think at that point, that record didn't get picked up. Like, it was kind of like, you know, that should have followed up I'll Be You and made them stratospheric. Right. But it didn't. And so they were like, all right, we're done. That's funny because you have this legion of fans, replacements fans, who would disagree and say like, no, why did you... Why would you stop? Especially on stage, yeah. all dramatically like that. That we pretty cool. Yeah, uh, gotta say. But it's like, funny too because I used to have this bootleg recording. Mm -hmm. So that show in Chicago was simulcast mm -hmm. on I think WXRT, which was the big indie station in town. Mm -hmm. And you can hear the guys. <laughs> it's really funny because they're like, the the you hear the replacements, not really finish a song, right. just stop playing a song. And then uh, uh, like 30 seconds go by and then the DJ comes on. He's like, well, I, uh, I guess that's it. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. They just kind of put down their instruments and walked off. Are they coming back for an encore? Like these guys are kind of chatting with each other, trying to yeah. fill up the dead air. <laughs> and it's really funny because they were just done. Like nobody knew. I don't even wow. think they knew. They yeah. just were like, all right, we Somebody did missed it. a note. They're all yeah. just like, all right, like, fuck, fuck it. this. I'm done. <laughs> Sounds like a way, like a Pixies uh show yeah somebody's throwing something at the other one you know? exactly they were just yeah. like whatever 
And then, you know, then the best thing was, I'm going to say, 92. Mm. All three main sort of create remaining creative members of The Replacements, Paul Westerberg, Tommy Stinson, and Chris Mars, they all put out solo records. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy's was called Bash and Pop, but it was like suddenly we had three, and they all sounded exactly the same. <laughs> they sounded like <laughs> replacement. They sounded like okay replacements records. Mm. Like none of them were the amazing replacements records. So it's like one year suddenly you had three mediocre replacements albums, which was okay. There you go. We'll take it. It's know? a little more than yeah, you know, more than you were expecting too, right? Yeah. Like the band breaks up, and you're like, oh shit, is that it? Yeah. Exactly. Well, at least we got a little more out of them. We got a little more out of them. And then they all, you know, and then Westerberg, you know, did the singles, the song on the singles. um, You know, he's always, he's never really gone away. He's kind of stayed around in pop culture. Mm -hmm. I think largely because he has fans that are, you know, people like Cameron Crowe who put him in movies. And, you know, he did the... What was that Disney movie he did? The music a Disney for movie. Yeah, he did the music for a Disney movie. This you say Aladdin, I'm going to be very. It's upset. not Aladdin. <laughs> no, it's one of. The, I don't. I never saw it. And the song. <clears throat> there's one song that. Is there a Disney movie called Open Season? Is that what it is? I feel oh, like that's I like to. a Pixar movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did like the soundtrack. For wow. It. I think it's called Open Season. That's cool. Yeah, that's the one about a, a safari. I'm going to assume. I'm guessing. Yeah, so he did the soundtrack, and he had a, a hit song, "Love You in the Fall," came out of that. So you know, every every couple of years, that was 2006. So that was probably the most recent, like, big upward spike for him, other than the Replacements reunion. Wow. Cool. How was the uh, how were the solo albums of uh, when Who's Kudu broke up? Did you listen to those Grant Hart? And, oh my god! Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, were they good? Yes. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about Grant Hart first. So, mm-hmm. uh, Intolerance was his first solo record, mm-hmm. and it was unbelievable. And it's really largely forgotten. Unfortunately, he hasn't quite had the uh, broad. Um, admiration that I think Bob had um, and you know I think it, it it cost him I think he really struggled in his post Husker Du life and mm. as you may or may not know he passed away a couple of years ago um, but he put out Intolerance which is a unbelievable album you know he was really struggling with addiction and the album a lot of it is about that and mm. there is one song in particular called The Main which is just I hear it today and I still like it moves me. It it's a, an unrelentingly honest look at what life is like when you're a junkie. Um he also had a, a few other records with this you know he put together a band called Nova Mob. I didn't follow that as closely. Mm-hmm. Um and then I don't know what he did after that. He put out a record every so often. Uh Bob Mold on the other hand, you know, he did Workbook which was unbelievable. Still one of my, I don't know, top 10, but definitely top 20 albums of all time. Wow. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, <clears throat> more acoustic singer-songwriter stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he did Black Sheets of Rain like a year later, which was right back to like the dark, heavy guitar sounds of Husker Du, and it was like unbelievable. And then as if that wasn't enough, he started a band called Sugar, Yeah, which are like literally the blueprint for power pop music uh, it those rec- that record is so good 
um, copper blue. And like, if you ever listen to my band, big mother gig, Mm -hmm. all you got to do is goal here. Yeah. (laughs) All you got to do is go back into that record and you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, I get what, what they're doing. Like it's, it's copper blue, you know, meets, I don't know what replacements record, but it's those two things kind Mm -hmm. of jammed together. Um, they weren't that far apart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then Bob did a couple sugar records, nothing quite like copper blue, a fantastic EP called Beaster, which is really forgotten and Mm. and is really unbelievably good. And then he went back to doing solo stuff. He had this weird period in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, where he was doing, I don't know. I, maybe I moved on from Bob for a while. Um, I just didn't really follow that stuff, and he right. did some electronic stuff, which I thought didn't really seem like it worked very well. I didn't hear any of that. Yeah, he huh. so he had moved to D.C., mm-hmm. and he at this point, he's a very out gay man. Mm-hmm. You know, in Husker Du, it was like this kind of like, it was like Morrissey, like, oh, yeah, I think he might be gay, or, yeah. you know, we always thought, is Michael Stipe gay? Like, who knows? <laughs> like, it was this very, like, Oh, you know, like I stay a Martian. (laughs) It was like the so like out there idea. Yeah. Um, But by this time he's an out gay man and he moves to DC and he starts a night, like a DJ night Uh um, with some other fellows. And it's a gay dance night and it's called blow up, I think is what it's called. And so he start he's DJing like I don't know how often, but he's got a night and it's growing and it's like his new thing and and so he starts doing kind of like house music. Mm-hmm. He put out a few records under a pseudonym that you know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Still interesting. Still like you know respectable. It's him. Yeah. You know he also wrote he wrote him. scripts for the World Wrestling Federation at one point. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. He's big on wrestling. He's yeah. big on a lot of these guys are big on wrestling. It's mm. a very Midwestern thing. Mm. You know, it's funny. I go back to the Midwest all the time, and everyone's really into wrestling, and I'm just like I am not into wrestling anymore. <laughs> like I was when I was twelve. Like I just don't understand how these guys are still doing it. But I never got into it. I didn't realize it was still going on. Because yeah, I just huge. I'm so disconnected from that world yeah. that I I just don't know. Yeah. And yeah, people are still my old uh, my old manager, my uh, Big Mother Gig's old manager, my dear friend Mark, and mm. if he listens to this, he'll get a kick out of this. He stayed in Milwaukee. I moved on and he, you know, he worked his way up into a fairly significant role in the music scene as a as a as a booking a, a talent buyer for some of the biggest venues in town mm-hmm. and so he uh occasionally he books these wrestling cards at, <laughs> at his music venues and uh. he literally has been like i don't know how it, what the genesis of this is all i know is every once in a while he posts a picture on facebook of himself in the ring getting kicked <laughs> like in the middle of a game, a match by a wrestler. Wow. Like he becomes, he somehow, he's like the Vince McMahon of Milwaukee, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Cause it's just him. And you yeah. just, you know, there's some video I saw a few years ago of him just getting pummeled by some wrestling guy and the crowd's yeah. going crazy Doesn't and make for great Instagram stories. Yeah. <laughs> so wrestling's still very big in the Midwest. Um, I, I yeah. thought I heard that, uh, <clears throat> hi-hat was doing some wrestling thing recently. Mm. And I was like, what? cool 
Maybe. Yeah. I don't like know. They got the right space for it. Yeah. It's right. pretty big. Yeah. That's a good size stage and all that. Yeah. And yeah. That's funny. They have those stands in the yeah, back. Yeah. They do. Right. I yeah. forgot the hi-hat has those like bleachers. Stands. Yeah. Yeah. Bleachers. That's right. It used to be a pool hall, I guess. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I guess that makes sense. But. That's funny because um, I didn't know. I had heard a place called the hi-hat opened on York, but I didn't know where it was. And I was out with some friends and I was like, remember that pool hall? Let's go to that old pool hall and play pool. Like, it'll be so much fun. And then we walked up and we're like, oh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. It's a live music venue. Yeah. And there's like two pool tables. Yeah. All taken. Everybody's in line. <laughs> Cheap beer. Good shows. Yeah. I like that place. It's a cool spot. Yeah. Yeah. We played our first, uh, our first Big Mother gig LA show was at the hi-hat. Oh, cool. Yeah. Two years, over two years now. Wow. Yeah. Because I saw you guys, was that a year ago already at a Viper Room? It wasn't a year ago. It might have been. Damn. Well, we've played Viper Room twice. Hmm. Um, oh, no, that was earlier this year. That was in like March when we played with the heroin and yeah. uh, Solar. Solar Haze. Solar Haze. Yeah. You're, which you're buddies with one of those guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, was I hilarious. Think, I couldn't believe you guys were on the same. Yeah. Like, wow, Viper Room is like one of the few clubs in town that that likes us. <laughs> 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 they like actually reach out every once in a while. Uh-huh. They're like, hey, do you guys want to play? And we're like, yeah, sure. So the legendary venue. It's too. funny that it's a legendary venue. I, I, I think that L.A. is is a little tough for us. Um, because the style of music we make is painfully <laughs> out of, t- out of <laughs> style, like out of style. Like we're, we're not to say unique. <laughs> okay. I'll take that. Is Contemporarily unique. No, because unique. like we don't work, like you can't put us on a bill with a bunch of indie bands, mm-hmm. right? Because they're all, like I said before, they're all like textured and quiet mm. and like everyone is like politely clapping. You know? <laughs> we get up there and we're like, you, uh, and the same token you can't put us on with a bunch of punk bands because mm. we're not punk enough you know for a yeah. punk audience like to a punk audience they'd be like get these jerks off the stage <laughs> you know so it's like we live somewhere in between yeah. in a style that was at one point a very prominent style but you talk about like a Mets concert you mm. know like if we opened for Mets <laughs> like Mets strange. fans would be like who are these losers yeah. like they're not <laughs> punk at all like they just wonder if they wa- wandered into the exactly, wrong Exactly <laughs> exactly so it's tough so we you know our best nights are when we're opening for you know old <laughs> old power pop acts you know like we play with the Posies or like the Gin Blossoms or something Yeah I like, saw you guys played with the Posies yeah. that was pretty cool What you played recently with them right Yeah just uh, 2 months ago yeah. in Milwaukee that's so cool. Yeah, it was an interesting night. And, you know, that audience, they, they even if they don't necessarily like what we do, they understand it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, they get it. They're like, oh, it's it's a style that I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever we play, like, a high, when we played Highland Park Bowl, um, there was a group of people that were really interested in us. But mm-hmm. there was also, I think, the people that kind of had seen the prior bands that were setting a certain... Um, expectation mm-hmm. of this kind of more contemporary indie sound. And I'm saying this with with nothing but respect for these other acts. Like, oh, yeah. we don't make contemporary indie rock. Mm-hmm. We just don't. We don't make garage rock. I don't know, you know, I call it alternative, but we don't sound like, you know, three-finger death punch or whatever. You know, <laughs> these, these, like, big alt, alt rock bands, right. you know? Like, I don't know what we are. Well, that definition adjusted with time, too. Right. right? Just like, just like <clears throat> indie you know exactly and he's now just called jangle pop and hipster and whatever yeah you know but it's like 
It's indie. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, so to me, we sound like alternative rock as it was originally defined. Mm. You know, like the Pixies, the Dinosaur Jr., Husker Du. I mean, I guess even then it was called indie. Mm-hmm. Alternative really is like an early 90s term. Yeah, that that fit more in line with like Nirvana. Nirvana, and, yeah. yeah. Pearl Jam and yeah. all that. I mean, aside so. from grunge, obviously. Right. right but like, was that subgenre, subterm? Yeah. Probably. Right? And do you know the term? This is the term, the genre that I cannot believe actually exists. It's mm. called post grunge. Post grunge? Yeah. Who and falls into that? So, like Nickelback. Post, okay. And Creed. <laughs> it's, it's like. still the vocals. It's, but. Yeah, it's like, it's like Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> by committee yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you got that yeah that guttural like yeah Ooh, okay. puddle of mud remember that yeah all that stuff is called post grunge post grunge wow. like that is just you know what that is that's just terrible music <laughs> it doesn't need a genre you can just put it in the big pile of bad music and just leave it there what's funny is that those guys were playing probably around the same time as you know, early 90s right yeah. like those guys probably getting together for the first time and yeah. they're just copying everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I always heard about. Um, was it Coldplay or Muse? I can't. Is Muse English? I can't. remember. Yeah, they're both British. Yeah, they were copying Radiohead. Like they would go to go see early Radiohead. That shows. was Coldplay. Yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah because they sound it. like they literally <laughs> sound like if you took Radiohead and ran it through the pop machine. Mm. <laughs> but know? that's what I think about Muse too. So yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> And there was another band at the time called, uh, well, there was Travis, and then there was also Elbow. Felt like all those four bands mm. were doing that same. It was like the post-Oasis Britpop, mm. you know? Like you had Oasis, Manchester, and then it, like the, sort of like the mid to late 90s mm-hmm. when you had Coldplay and Travis and, uh, you know, Muse. They, it was all, let's... Let's be Britpop, but this new version of Britpop, right. this Radiohead influenced, like intellectual Britpop or whatever you want to call right. it. Right. Let's form our band in college. And yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I never knew how to feel about bands like that. Like they were good, but like they're copying, they're clearly copying somebody else, which is, it's weird to reconcile, you know, yeah. those facts. And there are some bands that have copied another band's sound so specifically mm-hmm. that there's just, you know, the Coldplay sounding like Radiohead isn't, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily paint by numbers. Like, you could still see Coldplay existing as a band on its own, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, a Coldplay song comes on the radio, I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. But then you have bands like, oh, man, should I, I don't want to... <laughs> But there are more Same. current acts. <laughs> I can't really tell this story without naming yeah, them. Yeah, name them. It's fine. Uh, I've edited out names before. Just you know, because. okay, so like Cold Cave. Or, uh, you yeah. know, where it's like <laughs> there's that one song that literally feels like they sat down and said, let's be Joy Division. Yeah. Like, let's sound like Joy Division. Mm-hmm. Or when the editors first came out, mm. it was like they said, let's sound like Interpol. <laughs> you know, I mean, Interpol was trying to sound like Joy Division. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> and so you've got the editors who I think are a fine band and I really like some of their stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like they're an even more watered down version of Joy Division right. because they're trying to sound like Interpol. <laughs> you know, and then there was that other band that sounded so much like The Cure. God, what I saw them. 
uh, I saw them at the well, the will turn a couple of years ago mm. and I can't remember their name. And they had this song that it, it it's almost to the T like uh, one of those jangle cure songs. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, the cure always had, I felt like they always had two hats that they would wear. Yeah. They had the goth hat and then they had the silly pop hat, you mm-hmm. know, which is like Friday, you know, Friday night. Friday I'm in love. Thank you. Yeah. Friday I'm Everything in love or in- love cats, you know, all these like yeah. kind of goofy songs. And then you've got disintegration and all yeah. that, kind of, <laughs> you know, pornography, all like the really dark stuff. Mm-hmm. And then like, but yeah, I saw this band and I'm like, is this a cure cover? <laughs> God, I wish I could remember what they're called. My wife loved them. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you say Cold Cave, too, because, like, that whole dark wave goth thing yeah. is coming back. Is it? And, like, stronger than ever. Oh, man. The band that um, your publicist heard me mention, or that I mentioned, so, right. of course, he heard it. I, um, Twin Tribe. I don't know who he was managing. Twin Tribes, Orat, or or uh, She Passed Away. But all of that dark wave. It's just that like, style. Yeah, that goth style. Um I feel like Cold Cave is copying that, even though they, I think they might have come out before. Too. Yeah. It's like they hopped on it, but other bands did the same thing and did it better. Yeah. I think yeah. like Cold Cave sounds more of a right remanufactured, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. I remember when um, Depeche Mode came out mm. and then, then there was this band Camouflage. <laughs> you remember Camouflage? Nah. Oh man. Go. If you really want to like an exercise in, uh, an artist trying to sound like another artist <laughs> dig up camouflage uh-huh. and you'll literally think to yourself is this a D- Depeche Mode B-side uh-huh. <laughs> because the synth pop it's sort of darkish yeah. but not so dark you know because Depeche Mode was never really dark I mean they were minor key at times and they had a gothy look but they weren't like Bauhaus goth you know what I mean like right right they had they had the lyricism there too they did but it was all I I always felt Depeche Mode was a very safe version of goth like they were you know the version anyway (laughs) so go listen to Camouflage because (laughs) the great commandment so now we're just talking shit (laughs) the great commandment yeah now I'm just talking shit about everybody hey I like beach slang a lot Beach slang is cool. They're great. <laughs> I like that stuff too. Like, yeah. you know, going back to, yeah, we were kind of making fun of it, but a lot of it's good. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Beach fossils. Was another, another. I saw beach fossils at uh, South by Southwest many years ago and I was like, oh, I like this. This mm-hmm. is good. Um, I don't remember much since then, but you know, there's so I many, never followed up, there's so many bands them. out there, man. It's so hard to. And keep there's up. only one that matters. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> That's Big Mother Gig. Yeah, there you go. At Facebook.com. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, how do we find you? Um, so uh, Big Mother Gig has a website, BigMotherGig.com, uh, and we're on all the social places. We're on Instagram and Twitter. I don't know if people use Twitter anymore, other than Donald Trump. <laughs> um, we're on Facebook. And our songs are on Spotify and SoundCloud. I guess our we put out a record last year, and then about two months ago we put out a single, uh, just kind of for fun. We covered uh, M83, Midnight City. Did you hear that? Mm. You I'm not sure it? I did. Yeah, actually. it's it's pretty fun. Um, it's like what you would imagine that song would sound like if it was played by us. You yeah. Know? So it's like a little bit faster, a little bit louder, and. Uh, it's been fun to see that song kind of 
permeate a little bit out in the world. It's gotten some pickups, you know, on radio and stuff like that. So that's been kind of fun. And that's the most recent release. And then, yeah, we're uh, working on a new record, which I think if anyone knows what we sound like, it won't sound that dramatically different, but I think it'll be a pretty marked evolution from mm. where we were and particularly the subject matter mm. of the songs because it's a pretty personal record mm. cool <clears throat> do you have a name for it yet no 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 <laughs> but i have a list of like 15 names but none of them quite mm. you'll get there right? yeah like not till november anyway right so you've got some time to yeah and it's it's one of those things album titles either are a pained laborious process Mm -hmm. or you literally hear someone say it to you in conversation you know like they'll be like oh the trees are so i don't know whatever today and you're like whatever today that's it oh my god that's it like it's just some (laughs) little thing that you kind of read or hear and it just makes perfect sense yeah but it's hard when you're literally trying to figure it out and you're going to thesaurus.com, <laughs> you know, or you're reading books, trying, like, it never seems to work that way. Yeah. I figured you would just go through your lyric sheets and try to, like, That's another way to do it. And I've yeah. done that. I've pulled a few keywords out, but that always strikes me as a little, okay, this is a sort of a old person's music uh, relationship issue. So, oh, look at that. What is that crawling on your device? I don't know, but it doesn't look dangerous. It doesn't. It looks like <laughs> a but it, it looks like a really fuzzy little insect of some kind. I'm not sure what it is. So long as it's not a mosquito type thing then we're yeah. good. <laughs> um anyway, I remember as a kid, records that were named after a song or a lyric mm. brought a lot of um it seemed like whatever song it was was the most important song mm-hmm. if you named the album after right. it, you know, or a lyric from it. Mm-hmm. And so I try to shy away from that because when you're making an album, you know, theoretically, you're making an entire piece of work mm-hmm. and you don't want one or two songs to be the only one people care about. It is how it works <laughs> right you know because of singles and yeah there is title tracks the promotion and, yeah. yeah title tracks and all that stuff uh but i don't think i've ever released an album where i've named it after a a song in the album i try to get something a little metaphorical or mm. something that um almost like a mission statement mm. you know yeah. if you will like uh Big Mother Gig, our 1996 album was called Smiling Politely, (laughs) which was actually a Simpsons reference. (laughs) So there's this Simpsons where he does Homer Palooza and the Smashing Pumpkins come up. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's this really tiny little scene where Billy Corgan shakes Homer's hand and says, Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins. And he goes, Homer Simpson, Smiling Politely. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought that phrase, smiling politely, was the perfect sort of, like, introduction. Like, this is who we are. Right. You know, just standing there smiling politely. Yeah. So that made a lot of sense, you know. And I like that. Yeah. And a, no exact reference to a, exactly. a song or No, there's no song that's called smiling politely yeah. or it's not a lyric. It's just a sort of, like, a summary. Like you said, like a, a mission statement, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. I like that. Make it a whole sentence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, remember Mew? You know that band Mew? 
M E W. They're Danish sort of prog rock band. No, I don't think oh, so. hey, okay, so listen to Mew. Uh-huh. They're fantastic, <laughs> but they put out a record five or six years ago that was an entire poem. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's the title of it. Was like it's like you can't even. It, it's like so long that Spotify just you know lopped it off and everything. But <laughs> um, but yeah, they named it a poem. An entire poem was the title of that album. That's cool. What was the shorthand for it? I don't remember. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's how effective it it's was. That one new album. <laughs> the one with the long title. <laughs> cool man um yeah oh really quick how um where did big mother gig come from then in that case the name yeah oh it's a terrible name (laughs) (laughs) i like it it stands out yeah (laughs) well i guess that's good i don't know it's you know we this band formed in 1992 i think i was a sophomore in college Mm. The fellow who lived directly next door to me in my dorm was this guy, Rob. Mm. And we started playing music together, and we thought, let's form a band together. And at first, we called it uh, Distorted Joy, (laughs) which we thought was a very highfalutin, like, the perfect name. It's distortion, but it's joy. It's like, whatever. (laughs) And so he and I, we just played a little bit, and we played, like, some coffee shop things, you know, open mics and stuff. And then we decided to fill it out. So we got a bass player and a drummer. And we didn't have a, a name, uh, but we had a show booked in like a basement, you know, like a, a party house basement thing. Mm-hmm. And Rob actually came up with the the band name. He was driving. He lived in Chicago. He was driving back and he saw like, I, I, I'm going to say like a warehouse sign that said like Big Brothers warehouse or something so he kind of came back with that he's like what about big brothers or something and i was like i don't know and we just kind of riffed on it and at the time so 92 or 93 uh the word mother <laughs> was having a a big moment in our culture <laughs> there was mother love bone uh-huh. there was uh the use of the word motherfucker which mm. was in like every jane's addiction song <laughs> and like iced tea and body count mm. like all the stuff we were absorbing the word mother yeah like felt timely uh-huh. and i don't know where gig came from but it just became a thing and in milwaukee there's an annual festival every year called Summerfest. Mm-hmm. it is actually the largest music festival i think in the world oh wow no one even knows about it because it's in milwaukee uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and it lasts like two weeks long wow yeah it's, okay. it's the entire waterfront turns into a music festival. Uh-huh. It's two weeks long. Like, look at the lineup for this last year. It's like Rascal Flats and like, you know, Toto. It's like it's not necessarily <laughs> the coolest bands, but like the the they, the headliners are always these like huge acts, and then they kind of fill up the whole day mm-hmm. with local acts or you know touring. But like, I saw the Church. I saw the Violent Femmes a bunch of times there. Like they're cool. local. So anyway, the shorthand for that festival was called the Big Gig. And so I think some confluence of all those things came up mm-hmm. and we came up with the, the band name Big Mother Cake. So nothing like maternal at all. No. It's just <laughs> No. I just remember seeing, you know, Jane's Addiction had that song where he's always like, Ah, motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> And we were big into Jane's Addiction, yeah, you know. Like, like, wait, that's uh, every song. Yeah, <laughs> every song. Like, he was like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Uh, that's a good name. 
I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You see, <laughs> it feels like a 90s name. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it definitely feels like a 90s <laughs> Like if we were today, you'd have to replace all the O's with zeros. Yeah. <laughs> and like the T's with the number three. Yeah. Oddly enough, Distorted Joy would fit in nowadays. Yeah, Distorted Joy would be a more appropriate name. Yeah. <laughs> with joy in every title now. So. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that's where the <laughs> band name comes from, and yeah, we broke up in 96, and then uh, came back, uh, let's see, technically our first piece of new music came out in 2006, we mm. did our reunion show, first reunion show in 2017, I'm sorry, 2016, mm-hmm. not 2006, um, and then our first reunion show was 2017. Cool. Yeah, and we're still going at it. Awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Do you have a show coming up? Nope. No. No, we uh, are purposefully not playing right now um, because we're in this kind of album world right. where it's we really got to focus on getting a great record and then just kind of planning what the next phase is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like releasing it and then trying to maybe tour around it and that kind of stuff. Yeah, Cool. I mean, we'll, we probably will play again um, maybe before the end of the year. If something, it's, it's at this point, it's like someone has to come to us and mm-hmm. ask us to play. Like if someone's like, "Hey, do you want to play?" We might be like, "All right, cool, we'll play." But if there's no, there's no pressing reason to go out right now. That show we played a few weeks ago that you were at mm-hmm. was really good because we got to get out some of those songs, and they felt really great playing them live. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of like the purpose of that show was to cool. get those songs. And out you did there. the Facebook live, and we, <laughs> which I took down by the way. Oh, you did? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, because I was, <laughs> you know, we're all in our forties, and uh. you know, certain band members are. <laughs> sensitive to the the way their stomach looks at certain uh, angles of the <laughs> you gotta suck it in when you're on stage i know i know you know <laughs> you those spank shirts only work so well um so we kept it up for like a week and then we finally took it down uh, so that evidence is no longer there but thank well you for then. filming that oh yeah no problem <laughs> i didn't bring my camera i was like oh cool i get to do something yeah yeah <laughs> cool well thanks man thanks for doing this we did an hour and 15 minutes. Wow, that's yeah. good. I hope I'm not holding you up. You said no, you back they back actually 11? just just uh, they actually just pushed me off till noon, so. Oh, cool. Um all right, cool. Well, hey, Justin, I do want to say thanks for uh, you know, just for those who are listening. Justin's one of those rare um, I guess journalists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rare fellows out in the music industry who, you know, you when you're when you're an artist, you talk to a lot of people and you kind of like, you know, you're expected to do interviews and photo shoots and all that stuff. And every once in a while, one of those dudes is really cool. And that's Justin. And I appreciate so he that. and I have kind of, <laughs> yeah, we first met when you were doing All Things Go and mm-hmm. you wrote about the band a few times and we've hung out a couple of times and he's a, he's a good dude. So I oh. appreciate all the support you've always given us. And oh, anytime. Stuff like that. Yeah, Stuff you're a good like dude. That. Good people. <laughs> well, good people. Uh, it's hard. Are, are hard to find. So there you go. Yeah, we're gonna I make feel- out right now. Hold on. It <laughs> <laughs> didn't sound like a makeout. So it sounded like something else. <laughs> there you go. Well, thanks a lot, dude. All right, cool. <laughs>